You have to stop calling me Sister Trisha. Ooh, that freaks me out. We'll just go with Trisha. How about that? Well, ladies, man, Sister Amy. See, Sister Amy. Uh, I, I thought the rapture was going to take place, and I would make it this time. I was like, oh, my gosh, God just might, he might come back any minute, right? You know, funny story. I've been telling a lot of stories about my mother, and I don't know why this weekend my parents are just so much on my mind, I guess, just being here. But, um, you know, I told you guys yesterday that a lot of times when I would get off the school bus and come in, we would find my mother praying. Um, and one afternoon, my, my brother and I that was closest to my age came in, and we couldn't find her. And we looked in all the places, the, the laundry downstairs in the basement, and looked in the kitchen, and looked outside on the clothesline, couldn't find her. And she wasn't in her bedroom, but her slippers were there. You know what happened, right? Any good church kid, especially a pastor's kid, I was like, the rapture has taken place, and I have been left behind. I started snotting and snorting and confessing every sin that a 10-year-old, I don't know how old I was, I'm a, I mean, I was an absolute mess, and I mean, I was praying, like, you know, jumping, anything, trying to, and here she comes sauntering in the door, and, you know, you would think that she would have, like, comforted me, or what's the matter, you know, I'm snotting and snorting, and, and she did say, I said, where were you? And she was at one of the neighbors talking. And she said, well, what's the matter? And I said, I thought the rapture had taken place and I got left behind. And I, I thought she would hug me. No. In church lady fashion, she said, well, apparently there's something in your heart that needs to be dealt with. <laughs> you guys that know my mother, you can hear her say that, right? Uh, but no, Sister Amy, what a what a... What an amazing word you brought this morning. And, and ladies, hopefully you're getting the theme that we just got a lot of crap that we need to get rid of, right? It's a lot. Of, she's told me I could use that phrase. I'm not in trouble now for saying that in church because she already did it. And she's a lot holier than me, I can tell. I could tell when she stood up. I was like, oh, goodness, I better repent. No, the whole theme of this weekend, right, is we just have a bunch of junk that we drag around and that we carry around that we were never intended to carry around. I think it's just crazy. Amy and I did not speak, um, but I think it's just crazy how God works and how he knows exactly what we need. So I'm going to talk, and I'll try to be brief, but, you know, I could talk for hours, uh, but I'll try to be brief. Um, what I want to talk about is comparison, the trap of comparison. And if you say you haven't compared yourself to someone else, you're lying in Jesus' house, and you need to get saved before we go home. We've all done it. Every single one of us in this room has compared ourselves. As a young kid, some of you that knew me when I was little, I had the biggest buck teeth you have ever seen in fact, one of my older brothers called me Bucky Beaver. He was never punished for that appropriately. He would give me pencils and say, here, sharpen my pencil. I mean, it was bad. It was bad. There wasn't a lot of money in our house, but fortunately, my parents 
realized she is going to suffer a lot of embarrassment with those buck teeth. And somehow they managed to pay for braces, bless their hearts. I have no idea how. But I had these buck teeth. I had this nappy hair. I don't think I even combed my hair till I was about 12 because I didn't really want anything to do with dresses and inside, and I just wanted to be outside playing. Um, you know, there wasn't a lot of money in our house, um, so I didn't have the latest fashions. And um, I never got the Barbie Corvette. I'm still mad about it. My Ken and Barbie had to go on dates in my dad's size 13 penny loafer. I mean, you talk about ghetto Barbie. I never got over it. Uh, but, you know, I was constantly comparing as a kid. And then as a teenager, you know, I had Seventeen Magazine. My age, Seventeen Magazine was, you know, that's what you looked through to see, you know, how cute you were supposed to be and what your makeup was supposed to look like. And, you know, I, I learned pretty quickly that most beautiful was probably not going to be the title, uh, you know, that, that I earned. And so nothing that anybody taught me, no one teaches us to compare ourselves, do they? Our parents, our teachers, no one teaches us to do this. But some reason, and especially for women, we naturally kind of gravitate. And it doesn't matter if you're young or if you're old. If you're an older woman and you say you don't do it, you're lying again. So that's two times you've been lying already in the last 10 minutes. We do it no matter what our age, no matter no matter what season of life we're in, we can find ourselves comparing ourselves to others. So I just want to talk about some scripture verses. There's a, there's a story. I'm going to read it out of Genesis. It's, it's long, but I will read it quickly. And it's, it is just a, you talk about a dysfunctional mess. Um, but it's a story about two sisters and two women. And we're just going to pull some truths out of God's word that I think can help us when we fall into that trap of comparison. So if you could pull up uh, the Genesis 29. So I'm going to give you just a tiny bit of context. In chapter 25 of Genesis, Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old when him and Rebekah got married. Him and Rebekah struggled with infertility, and Isaac prayed for his wife Rebekah to, to have kids. And, and Jesus blessed them with, with two boys. So they had Jacob and Esau. And those two boys couldn't get along. It even says in the scripture that they started fighting inside the womb. Uh, Esau traded his birthright for a, a pot of stew. Like, man, guys take their food really seriously, right? Um, and then later on in chapter 25, Jacob tricks their, their half-blind father into giving him the firstborn blessing. And things got so bad between Jacob and Esau that Esau swore when their daddy died that he was going to make sure his brother Jacob wasn't far behind him. And so it got so bad that, that their parents, Isaac and Rebekah, decided they needed to separate them and they needed to send Jacob away. So Isaac calls Jacob in, gives him a blessing and says, hey, I don't want you to marry anybody from, a, from Canaan. I want you to go. I want you to go away to your mother's father's area and, and find yourself a wife there. So that gets us up to chapter 29. So I'm going to read... If you've got your Bible, it's, we're going to read from Genesis 29, 1 to 21. Then we're going to take a break and we'll read the rest of it. So it says, Then Jacob continued on his journey and came to the land of the eastern peoples. There he saw a well in the open country with three flocks of sheep lying near it because the flocks were watered from that well. The stone over the mouth of the well was large. 
When all of the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone away from the well's mouth and water the sheep. Then they would return the stone to its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob asked the, the shepherds, my brothers, where are you from? We're from Haran, they replied. He said, do you know Laban, Nahor's grandson? Yes, we know him, they answered. Jacob asked them, is he well? Yes, he is, they said, and here comes his daughter Rachel with the sheep. Look, he said, the sun is still high. It's not time for the flocks to be gathered. Water the sheep, take them back to the pasture. We can't, they replied, until all the flocks are gathered and the stone's been rolled away from the mouth of the well. That's when we'll water the sheep. While he was talking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherd. I love that she was a shepherd. When Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of his uncle Laban, and Laban's sheep, he went over and rolled away the stone, the mouth of the well, and he watered his uncle's sheep. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and began to weep aloud. He told Rachel that he was a relative of her father and a son of Rebekah, so she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he hurried out to meet him. He embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his home, and there Jacob told him all of these things. Laban said to him, you are my own flesh and blood. After Jacob had stayed with him for a whole month, Laban said to him, just because you're a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel, and he said, I'll work for you for seven years in return for your youngest daughter, Rachel. And Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than to some other man, so stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me, give me my wife. My time is completed and I want to make love to her. So Jacob ends up at this community well in a far-off village, strikes up a conversation with some of the locals, asks them if they knew his uncle Laban. Of course they knew him. And then here comes Rachel. Well, you can see Jacob was smitten, right? I mean, love started at that well. She made an immediate impression on him, and no sooner had he introduced himself to her than he kissed her. That's pretty fast moves, right? Um, and then Jacob offers to work seven years. So here's a few things. In verse 17, it says, Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah. The name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Wow. Poor Leah. What a description, right? Weak eyes. I mean, seriously, right? The Hebrew text literally says Rachel had a great figure and was beautiful. But Leah, kind of a plain Jane, right? Uh, also, seven years. That was, in, in biblical times, seven years was an enormous price for a bride. So clearly, Jacob was over the moon in love with, with Rachel. Verse 21, this is so graphic in the Hebrew text. He says, give me my wife. My time is completed. I want to make love to her. Can you imagine your husband telling your daddy, I want to have sex with your daughter? Ew. That's like la, 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 la. Right? I can't even. I was just like, oh, my goodness. He did not say that out loud. But that is how much Jacob wanted Rachel. So I'm going to read from 21 to 35, so stick with me. 
and then we're going to pull out some, some truths because this gets to be a crazy story. So in verse 21 is where he says, give me my girl because you know I want to get jiggy with her. Uh, so verse 22, he says, so Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. But when the evening came, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and Jacob made love to her. And Laban gave his servant Zilpah to his daughter as her attendant. When morning came, there was Leah. Don't you want to add some downer music like wah, wah, wah? Like, whoa. Morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob says to Laban, what is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Laban replied, it is not our custom here to give the youngest daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week, then we'll give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. So Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah, then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban also gave his servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her attendant. Jacob made love to Rachel also, and his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah, and he worked for Laban another seven years. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive, but Rachel remained childless. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, It is because the Lord has seen my misery, surely, the Lord, surely my husband will love me now. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a second son, she said, Because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this son too. She named him Simeon. Again, she conceived for a third time. She gave birth to a son and said, Now at last my husband will become attached to me because I've borne him three sons. So she named that son Levi. She conceived again, gave birth to a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. She named him Judah. And then she stopped having children. So, if we go back to verse 25 where it was the wah, 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 woke up with Leah. Uh... In the full light of day, Jacob realizes the gal that he just slept with was not the good-looking Rachel, but rather the weak-eyed Leah. Um, You know, Leah's therapy bill would be, like, off the charts today, right? I mean, if this happened today, she's going to need a lot of time with the therapist to get over this. Um, But, you know, Jacob thought, if I can just have Rachel, everything's going to be okay. But in the morning, it was Leah. And you, ladies, isn't that kind of what we do? I mean, we set ourselves up to say, if I could just lose this many pounds, if I could just live in this kind of a house, if I could just find this kind of a husband, if I could just get this kind of a job, if, I, if my kids would just behave like this. We go through the whole list, right? And in the morning, it's Leah. Doesn't quite work out the way we had hoped, right? Sometimes it's Leah and it's not Rachel. And if we're not careful, and if we don't take captive those thoughts very quickly, it's going to start sinking in. I'm not enough. I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. And it, and it says Leah was particularly unattractive. I mean, Leah had to live her whole life in the shadow of her sister who was stunning, and it says in verse, in verse uh, 30, uh, his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. She was the girl that nobody wanted. But she had set her hopes on, on getting Jacob's love. And these two sisters 
have just made a mess of comparing themselves, and it goes on into chapter 30, and we'll, we'll hit a couple here or there. On one hand, you've got Leah, who is fertile, could have babies, bless her heart, and Rachel, who wasn't. Rachel couldn't have kids. Rachel was desperate to have kids and couldn't understand why God had blessed her sister in the area where she wasn't blessed. On the other hand, Jacob loved Rachel with all of his heart. And Leah was not the sister that he intended to marry. The only reason why he hooked up with Leah was because her father tricked him. That's it. So Leah could give Jacob all of the children, but what she wanted was his love and affection. That's not what he had for her because Rachel was the, the beautiful sister. So this is such a great story for us to talk about. So what do we do? What do we do when comparison is stealing our ability to be the women that God made us to be. So I want us to talk about five things quickly that I think we can do. Because, ladies, it happens to every single one of us. And I'll tell you, growing up as a preacher's kid, man, you want to feel some pressure. I never felt like I was good enough. Um, and I don't know that it, was my, that, was, that it was my parents that necessarily put the expectations on me or if it was just what I made up in my own head. But... You know, I remember the pressure of feeling like I, I can't possibly live up to this standard. There's no way I'm going to get this right, and I didn't. And there was a period of years of my life where I walked away. I was calling me the prodigal daughter. I couldn't live up to the standard, so I just did my own thing. And I'll never forget my daddy calling me and telling me, Sis, your mother and I don't agree with some of the decisions that you're making right now. But he said, but I'll always be your daddy and I'll always love you. You know, he didn't condemn me. He didn't preach at me. He didn't tell me all the scripture verses that I need. He, he knew. He knew that I knew what I needed to do. He also knew that I just needed to hear he was my dad and that he'd be there. And he said, once you get your head screwed on straight, I'll be the first person celebrating with you when you come back. And he was. It took me a while to get my head screwed on straight. He's the first person that celebrated when the curse of sin was lifted from my life. But I understand that pressure of, of not feeling like you're enough. The world puts so much pressure on us for what we need to be, what we need to become. You know, I don't have any kids. I knew as a teenager that I was not going to have kids. I don't know why. I have no idea why, but I remember telling my mom as a 14 or 50-year-old, I'm not going to have any kids. I don't know why. I just felt like that's not in the plans for me. But you know what? It is funny how many dumb things people have said or how much crap I have heard because I didn't have kids. As if there is something wrong. You know, people will, I've even had little old ladies say, well, honey, what's the matter with you that you didn't have any babies? And I just said, my uterus wasn't interested. <laughs> I don't know. I just didn't want any. I love little kids. I just didn't want one 24-7. I'm like, I'll rent one. I'll babysit for all of you. I will spoil them rotten. But God, please don't make me raise a child. I can barely get myself together and out the door. Uh, so the thought of being responsible for another human it was, it was more than what I could uh, manage. But I understand the pressure 
of all of this comparison coming at you from, from every, if, every angle of what you're supposed to be and who says so and why and how come. And one thing we have to do, ladies, is we have to be honest about that struggle of feeling less than. You know what? Maybe you don't care if your house is Pinterest worthy or maybe being the perfect mom is not on your list. Maybe you don't desire to have the number one you know, position in your company. But there is something, there is some reality that makes you feel like you're not measuring up. And until you get honest about it, you can't conquer it. For me, I'll tell you, it was the seduction of success. That's what got me because I didn't have any kids, so I put all of my energy into, into being a businesswoman. All of my energy have moved all over the country, have clawed, have fought, have in a very male-dominated environment. I put all of my, all of my energy into being successful. You know what? It left me empty. It left me empty. It does not fulfill. It's great. I love my job. I love what I do. There's nothing I love more than stomping around in a dirty plant factory floor and seeing what we can make better. Um, but it left me empty. It, and it will, things will leave you. And, you know, I'll tell you, the addiction of success is no different than any other addiction. It is, there is no difference in it. And, and, you know, could anything be more comforting than what God did for Leah? He saw her struggling, hurting, this unwanted wife, while her beautiful sister was being welcomed with seven years' worth of desire. And when it says, when the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb. When we find ourselves in situations that feel like they're ruining us, he will give us the grace to survive. He absolutely will. And I'll tell you, ladies, sometimes when God seems to be killing you, he's actually saving you. I know it in my heart. I know it. I, I lost a job. I've never lost a job in my life. I have only ever had success. And I lost a job. And it, it destroyed me because it was so opposite of what I had expected. And I thought I was following God. I thought I was moving to this place to have this great job. And it turned out that it was a horrible situation. And in my stubbornness, I wasn't going to quit because if there's one thing I'm not, I'm not a quitter. I am persistent to a fault, and I would not quit this job. And my husband kept saying, just quit. It's killing you. It was affecting my health. I had a cough and a scratchy voice, and I was working 18 hours a day. I had chosen my team. I was like, nope, not a quitter. I'm not a quitter. My husband was begging me, quit. It is killing you. Nope, not a quitter, not a quitter, not a quitter. And the guy that I worked for who was, let's just say, not an honorable man, that's the nicest way I can say that, pulled me in and said, this isn't working. I knew in my heart it wasn't, but I was mad. I was mad because I thought I was moving. I thought I was doing what God wanted. I thought I was moving. It turns out God was in it. It was just a zigzag for him to get me where he wanted me to be. But I was mad. You know, I called my husband and said, well, I don't have a job. You know what my husband said? Well, thank God. My husband is a man of few words. He is the planet's biggest introvert. He could live in a cave and never interact with humans and be happy forever. 
Uh, he is not an out loud Christian like I am. He's a quiet man. If, if you had to, if he said, if you, somebody told him he had to stand up here, he'd, he'd wet himself. <laughs> or worse, or worse. Uh, he's just not. He, he doesn't pray out loud. He does, but you know what he told me? And I was just like, that's just like God. He said, Tricia, I didn't know what else to do. And he said, I prayed a very short prayer. And I said, God, take care of her and do anything. That was his prayer. That's the day I lost my job. Three days later, the cold, the cough went away, the scratchy throat went away. It was God saving me. But he had to let me feel like he was killing me to get me there. You know, years later, now I'm at a, a wonderful company with a group of Christian leaders. The executive team that I'm on, we pray, we have devotions before our meetings. It's unlike any company I've ever worked for. Not perfect by any means. We're, we're a hot mess on a stick, in fact. But the executive team that I'm a part of, our number one value is to honor God. That is the number one value of our company. And we open every meeting with prayer. I would have still been at the other place. I would have still been at the other place if God hadn't brought me there. But I had to get honest with that feeling of being less than. And we've got, to, we've got to get honest with the fact that sometimes we're going to feel less than. And that that's, that's really just okay. There's, there's nothing wrong with it, but we absolutely have to get honest about recognizing it, right? Number two, the other thing we have to do is we have to change our maybe nows to this time. And if we go back to the verse... Just lost my place in the scripture here, so give me one second. We go back to the verse, uh, you know, where Leah's having all the babies down here in, uh, in verse 31 to 35. She's having all these babies, and she's saying, she says, uh, it's because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely now my husband will love me. That was baby number one. Baby number two, she says, because the Lord heard that I'm not loved, he gave me this son too. Baby number three. Now my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Took her three times, ladies, three times for her to get to this time. On the last kid, she says, this time I will praise the Lord. So baby number one, maybe Jacob will love me. Baby number two, maybe now Jacob will love me. Baby number three, well, maybe now Jacob will love me. All those babies, still no love for Leah, right? Maybe now. If everything is maybe now, it makes it all about me being better than somebody else. When I'm saying maybe now, that's me comparing something to something. That's me, you know, us having desires is not part of the problem. God does not have a problem at all with us think desiring things. Desiring things aren't bad, but when those desires become greater than the one who gives the desire, that is when they're going to become destructive. That is when they are going to become idols in our lives, and we are going to have problems. I love in verse 35, finally... After she'd given birth to baby number four, something changed inside of her. Something happened inside of her, and, and this time it was different. She says, this time I will praise the Lord. And she named him Judah, and it says she stopped 
having kids. This time. This time. This, this was the time when Leah found her identity in God and her attitude changed. And I wonder if that shift came about because she finally saw things for what they really were. She finally realized, I'm chasing the wrong things, right? So, ladies, here's a few this times that I think we can think through. This time, I will stop looking back at the things I can't change. I'll fix my eyes on Jesus because he gives me something to look forward to. This time, even though my heart hurts, I will look for the good things that God has given me. This time, I will look at this unfair situation and I will seek understanding through God's wisdom. This time, I will praise the Lord and trust his goodness. Start looking for those sweet surprises that God has in store for you in the midst of things that just suck, for lack of a better term. I shouldn't say that. That's as bad as crap, but oh well. But start looking for those sweet surprises because there are some situations in life that just stink, that are just unfair. But ladies, God is writing a story so far beyond anything that any of us can see in the here and now. It's so far beyond. I look back at my life and think, you know, all of us are dumb when we're 18, and I'm just less dumb now at almost 49. But you think your life is going to go in a straight line? What a joke, right? What a joke. It's a zigzag. You remember those Dennis the Menace cartoons where he's like all over the yard and all over? That's, that's been me. But you know what? God is writing a story so far above and beyond anything that any of us could ever dream or imagine. We just have to see it for what it is. We've got to get rid of those maybe nows. And we've got to go this time. This time I will praise the Lord. Even though this stinks and even though I hate it and even though it may be self-inflicted because I did some dumb things, this time I will praise the Lord. Number three, we've got to remember you do not always have to be okay. It is okay to not be okay. No matter how much you love Jesus, there are going to be people and situations and problems that are going to be really hard to handle. And when life breaks us down, we've got options. We can either be bitter or just like that song said this morning, we can have a breakthrough. That's really it. That, that's really our choices is be bitter or, or figure out how to have a breakthrough. And if, we, if you flip over to, and I don't, have this, I don't think I have the verses on the screen, but that's fine. If you flip over to chapter 30, and you can, you can read it later. Um, in chapter 30, Rachel has her servant sleep with Jacob. Another weird move, right? She has her servant sleep with Jacob so that her servant can get pregnant and have babies. And in verse 6 of chapter 30, Rachel says, God has vindicated me and given me a son. In verse 8, she says, I have had this great struggle with my sister, and I have won. So you can see this, this tug of war, this constant tug of war. And even though Leah, back there in verse 35, had her this time I will praise the Lord moment, Leah didn't stay healthy. Leah, Leah we watched Leah come to this this time I will praise the Lord, but, but she still wasn't okay. Once her sister started this, you know, having the servant sleep with the husband and having babies, and 
what Leah did was she, she picked that blanket back up. Just like, Amy, just like Amy said, she wasn't okay. And ladies, that's going to happen, right? It's going to happen. And you know what? We need, to, we need to admit that sometimes we're not okay. And sometimes we're still carrying a heavy weight of comparison. And sometimes we just need to admit that we're not okay. And you know what? That might seem weak, especially when we're comparing ourselves to other ladies. You know, we might, we might look at somebody and go, well, Jessie seems like she's really got it all together. And, and if I admit that I'm not okay, then that makes me look weak. Yeah. Trust me, she doesn't have it all together. None of us do. You know, I've got a young lady that works for me now, and she's, I'm trying to mentor her, really sharp young lady. And she comes in one day and says, Tricia, you know, it just seems like you've always got it together. You know what to say, and you just always have it together. And I started laughing hysterically because what, what Bailey didn't know was that same morning I drove to work with my house slippers on. <laughs> and that's what I told her. I said, oh, sweet Bailey, you are just the cutest thing. I said, what you don't know is I'm so not together and I'm such a hot mess that you don't even know that I drove all the way 35 minutes to work with my house slippers on and got out of the car and get ready to walk into a manufacturing facility in house slippers. Now, thank the good Lord I keep a pair of steel-toed shoes in my car everywhere I go. Uh, so it wasn't too big of a deal, but it was a perfect example of we don't have it together and it's really okay to say that you don't have it together. You're not giving anything up. You're not, you're not going to look weak. You're actually going to look stronger. You're going to actually look stronger to the people around you when you acknowledge that you're not okay. And I'll tell you, man, I have wrestled with God about so many things. And you know what? He has never resisted that wrestling. In fact, he, he encourages it. Any of my questions, any of my doubts, any of my feelings, any of my fears, any of my crazy notions, he has more than tolerated, more than tolerated all of the wrestling. But you know what? You just got to wrestle. You got to wrestle with not being okay until you get to that resting place. So when you're feeling like you're not okay, you know what that means? It's time to wrestle. It's time to wrestle with some truth. And it's time for you to believe God's promises about yourself, not the world's standards. But it's okay. It's okay to not be okay. And the truth is, just like with Leah, even if we've got it all together and we're walking in victory, we're going to mess up again. Leah had her this time I will praise the Lord moment, and then she kind of went psycho in the very next chapter on her sister. So you can have, you can have victory and still mess up. It's okay to not be okay. Just run to him time and time and time again. That's what I love about God. He doesn't put any limit, thankfully, on how many times we can run to him. And man, I'm glad because I'm pretty sure I would have checked out and hit the number. If there was a number, I've hit it. And he would have been like, sorry, 10,975, that's it. Please sit down. He doesn't do that. And I'm so, so, so grateful that it doesn't matter how much you got it together if you just wig out and you mess up, just run to him. Run to him and tell him I'm not okay because it's okay. Number four, you have not done anything wrong, and her gain is not your loss. I'm going to say that again. You didn't do anything wrong. Her gain is not your loss. When you start doubting your gifts and talents, I want you to tell yourself two things. 
very profound words. Stop it. That's what I want you to do. When you start doubting yourself, just tell yourself, stop it. Because here's the truth, ladies. You are not gifted in every area, and you are not made for everything. Neither am I. I was not gifted in every area, and I am not made for everything, and neither are you. But we need to trust God so much that if he doesn't give it to me, I don't want it. If he doesn't give it to you, you don't want it. You've got to trust him that much. Here's the secret. He made us with desires that match his will and his plans for our lives. That's how much he loves you. Even if you don't have a clue what you're supposed to be doing, there's a passion. There's a gift inside of you. You may not even know it yet. And, and you have desires that God has already matched with the plan for your life. As a little girl, I loved playing business. I have no idea why. I always thought it was because my older brother was a businessman. I just loved pretending like I was a businesswoman. I set up a little table in my closet, and, and I had a little telephone, and, and my dad would, you know, my daddy, I raised my window, and my daddy, I don't even know what business I had, but we'd do some drive-through thing where he'd come and he'd get forms, and I had a brother who worked at the nursing home, and he brought me home all of these printed forms. I mean, guys, I thought I was the bomb. I mean, I was eight years old, and I had real printed forms. None of my friends had real printed forms. I had this whole stack of, like, official, I, w I really thought I was, I was it. But that's always been in my heart, to be a businesswoman and to lead a team. And, and you know, I thought it was silliness. I'm realizing that God gives us desires, and he matches those desires up with his plans for our lives. So don't. Don't get so hung up on her gain being your loss. You got a story. You got a story, and you have got to step into the middle of your story. I'll tell you, Patricia Clark is not for everybody. My opinions, my big mouth, my ideas, the things that make my heart beat, they don't mesh well with everybody else on this planet. And you know what? That doesn't make me wrong. It just makes me normal. And you know what? If your only desire is to get everybody else to agree with you or like you, you are not speaking your own truth. You're just simply saying what you think everybody else wants you to say. And you know what? I spent way too many years doing that, way too many years. And I have found the best way for me to keep from comparison, from controlling me, is to stay focused on what God's doing through me. That's it. Because the only thing that really matters is, is what his opinion is, not what everybody else's is. And I, I'm not kidding. I have little mantras that I say to myself and little cards in my house. And every morning I say, more and more like Jesus, less and less like anyone else. More and more like Jesus, less and less like anyone else. I don't want to be you, and you don't want to be me. And you know what? I'm sure there's things I would love about your life, and I'm sure there are things you'd love about mine. And if we swapped places for a day, we'd both want our old, old lives back by the end of the day. I know it. I know we would. The common thread that we all share is the need to look more and more like Jesus and less and less like everybody else. Your gift's not my gift. My gift's not your gift. But together with our complementary gifts, man, God can do some crazy things. He can do some incredible things. 
But we got to stop looking at everybody else's gifts and callings and thinking that there's nothing good left. The, the thing is, that will keep us from missing exactly what is in front of us. Quit, quit worrying about if there's enough to go around. I promise you, God's got enough of work in his kingdom. He knows enough about us that he can use every one of us. So ladies, if, if, if your girlfriend wins, we all win. Her gain is my gain. Her loss is my loss. Her win is your win. Her sorrow is your sorrow. We got to stop thinking that if she wins, we've lost. I want you guys to pull out one of those cards, and it's the one that says, bless her prayer. Because I'll tell you what, anytime the enemy starts getting all up in your business, and he tries to get you to compare yourself to somebody else, this little bless her card, and if you don't have one, raise your hand. If you didn't get it or if you don't have one, we'll, we'll get you one. Has everybody got it? Everybody found it? This little bless her prayer, it is powerful. It is life-giving for you and for her. And I'll tell you, it will put the devil right back where he belongs on the sidelines, not in the game. So if you, if you start getting, getting all weird and comparing yourself, I want you to keep this in your wallet or in your Bible or somewhere where you can get to it. I want you to pray it. And it says this, God, and I'm going to use my sister's name. God, today I'm praying for Treva. I am grateful that you had gifted her with the ability to show kindness to everyone. You are a good God who gives each of us good gifts. I pray that today would be a day of increase with the ability to use those gifts in her life. Help Treva use her time, resources, and talents wisely today. Surround her with what she needs the most and bless her greatly. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll tell you what, you can't keep comparing yourselves to someone else and be negative and pray this prayer. You can't. You can't do it. So when you're getting all snarky because she's cuter than you or she's got something better going on than you or she's got a better job than you or she's got a cuter boyfriend than you do, you get this card out and you pray this prayer and I promise you it will immediately change your perspective on that comparison. And the last thing, ladies, is... Let the success of others encourage you, not discourage you. Ladies, you got to let her be her, and you got to let you be you. I know what she's doing looks like it's really awesome, and maybe she makes it look so easy, and, and maybe she can actually do it better. But you know what? She is called, she's chosen, and she's set apart by God for a purpose, her purpose, and so are you. You are called and you are chosen and you are set apart for your purpose, for God's purpose for you. And he gives us the ability to cheer on that girl next to us regardless of how threatened we feel. He gives us that ability and everyone has something they can teach us. Sometimes it's who we want to become and sometimes it's who we never want to become. I tell I tell young leaders that I'm mentoring all the time when they talk about, if they talk about having a bad boss, I said, you hang in there. You can learn a lot from a bad boss. I've learned some of the best lessons I've ever learned from some of the dirtiest scoundrels I've ever met about how I didn't want to be and how I didn't want to behave and how I didn't want to treat people. So there's a lesson. There's a lesson in every, every interaction. And, ladies, if we spend our lives chasing everybody else rather than cheering for them, 
you're going to be empty. Cheer for them. Cheer for them. No matter how empty you're feeling, no matter how beat down you're feeling, you, play that, you pray that bless her prayer because you know what? It will get paid forward. It will get paid forward. Pull out that second card if you don't mind. I'm almost done. I know we're sleepy and ready to go. That second card, I just want to read this, and I want you to keep this in your wallet, like I said, in your purse, on your bathroom mirror, wherever. Some, put it in some prominent place that you're going to see it. Because the second card says, darling, that one thing that you have that nobody else has is you. Your voice, your mind, your story, your vision, your heart, your soul. So laugh and sing, dance and play, write and draw, create and build, love and shine. Stay true to yourself and embrace your inner beauty and remember to live your life as only you can. Ladies, God wants to set us free from this journey, from this idea that our journey has to look a certain way. Remember what I said earlier, more and more like Jesus, less and less like anybody else. You know what? I'm, I, am, I am pushing 50 years old. I'll be 49 years old in, in, in November. And I have finally learned to stop looking to the right, stop looking to the left, just look straight in front of me. And you know what I see? I love what I see. The reflection in the mirror has got a lot more wrinkles than she had a few years ago and some pretty dark circles under her eye and, and some hair glitter. That's my term for gray hair, hair glitter. Uh, these thighs are still enormous. Um, but you know what I see? I see a feisty, feisty gal full of grit and grace. That's exactly where she's supposed to be. And life's turning out exactly how it's supposed to be. Messy, beautiful, challenging, and changing. So ladies, I'm settled, but I'm not settling. I want you all to get settled. Get settled, but don't settle for less than what you know God has for you. Get settled with who you are. Get settled with how God made you. Get settled with... He made you exactly the way you are for a reason and all your warts and all your flaws and all your bumps and all your bruises. He's going to use that to write your story. So get settled in him, but don't settle. Keep moving forward. And ladies, let's, let's don't allow comparison to become something that consumes us. Let's look at that example of Leah and how she eventually was able to praise the Lord and say, this time. This time, I will praise the Lord. That changed her whole outlook. And God did something beautiful in her. If you read the lineage of Jesus, it came through her son, Judah. Judah was the son, the fourth son, when she said, this time, I will praise the Lord. So, ladies, God wants to do the same beautiful things in our lives. If we will just stop looking to the right and the left, keep our eyes on him, and just say, this time, I will praise the Lord. Stand with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, I am so, 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 so grateful. Lord, there's not enough so's and not enough gratefuls, Lord, for me to express how thankful I am, God, that you know every single detail of our lives, God. You are not surprised or shocked 
by any of the dumb things that we do. And Lord, despite our bad decisions, despite our bad attitudes, Lord, you are able to make something out of nothing. You are able to make beauty from ashes. And Father, I I thank you for a weekend, Lord, of just absolute reminders, Lord, of who we are in you. God, it's, it's amazing to me how you, how you wove this all together, Lord. Lord, it's just a, a testament to who you are. So, Father, I just pray that, that as we celebrate and sing together before we leave, God, that you would just absolutely burn it into our hearts and minds, God, that you have made us for a specific purpose. Lord, that you love us, God, beyond what we could comprehend. And that, Lord, you don't want us to be one thing more than exactly what you've made for us. Lord, help us, Father, to rest in that, God. Help us to rest, Lord, knowing, Lord, that you have our lives in your sovereign hands, God. Not a thing happens to us, Lord, doesn't pass through your hands first. Lord, I just pray, God, that you just help us, God, be more and more like you and less and less like anybody else. And God, that your voice will be the loudest voice that we hear, Father. We hear so many voices, God, in this world today. Lord, drown them all out. Drown them all out, Father, and let your voice, let your voice, Father, be the loudest voice that we hear. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Ladies, if you would like to come forward and pray, I just want this to be a sweet, sweet ending to an amazing two days together, to where we can just leave resting, knowing that that we are exactly who He made us to be, that we are exactly what He wants us to be. Just rest in that. So I would just invite you to spend some time with Christ, thanking Him and asking him to help you continue to walk forward into the story that he's writing for you.